Over 200,000 of the homeless people in the United States of America are women and girls. The most needed and understocked item in homeless shelters, feminine hygiene products. Joy Road Media is proud to tell you about the Clean Love Project. The Clean Love Project's mission is to help women and young girls feel clean, loved, and empowered by distributing clean love kits to alleviate their hygiene needs. Go to thecleanloveproject.org to find out how you can help. The Clean Love Project focuses on the Metro Detroit area, but it also distributes kits worldwide. If you are a female in need of a clean love kit, go to thecleanloveproject.org and request one today. Joy Road Media is a proud supporter of The Clean Love Project at thecleanloveproject.org. From the ragged heart of the Rust Belt, this is Great Lakes Confidential with your hosts, Angie and Marty. Hi. <laughs> this is Great Lakes Confidential with Angie and Marty. I'm I, Angie. I'm I'm also Angie. I'm Marty. How's it going? Going great. How are you doing, babe? Well, it's spring today mm-hmm. and tomorrow, apparently. That's good. And then we'll be back to winter by Wednesday, I do well, believe. The, the fantastic part is the seven to eight inches of snow that accumulated on our porch has now melted <laughs> without any shoveling necessary. That's true. Well, our neighbor... Uh, snow blowed, snow blue. Yeah, part of the the sidewalk for us. So thank you very much. Yeah, so that was nice. Yeah. Um, I try to avoid shoveling as much as humanly possible. Mm -hmm, I know. And uh, that's just the way that that nobody likes shoveling. No, it's a horrible, horrible task. But we're you know Michigan 2022 in the midst of global warming. It's one of these years where you know we'll get a bunch of snow dumped on us one day, and then you just wait a day and it all melts. Yeah, I mean I'm. You know, the grand scheme of things, it's not so terrible. So I'm not going to complain too much. But yes, today and tomorrow we have spring and then we'll go back to the polar plunge. Fourth or fifth winter. I don't know where we're at. I've lost Polar track. vortex. Yeah. So we're just like the new North Pole. Well, this polar <laughs> vortex is permanent. Right. So anyways, today I posted in a Facebook group not long ago and mm-hmm. was looking for suggestions and one of the suggestions of a show that we should do would was on Michigan brands. Very cool. So I did a little research on there's a boatload mm-hmm. of companies that started in Michigan or that started in another state and then came to Michigan. Synonymous with Michigan. Yeah. So I believe I have like four to talk about. Mm-hmm. Because that's really as far as I could get. There's just, like I said, there's so much. And there are a couple of brands that, for example, Hudson's, the Hudson Motor Car Company, that deserves its whole own show just because... You love Hudson. Because I love Hudson. (laughs) And it's a huge part of my family. It is a family thing, and you'll find out more about that in upcoming episodes for sure. And if only you could see the smile on her face right now while she's talking about Hudson. (laughs) 
there's certain there are certain brands in the state that definitely deserve their own episode and that's one of them and i am so excited for that one because it Mm -hmm. might even turn into like a two or a three part because it's three parts there's so much i mean there's so much Mm -hmm. to talk about and the hudson international is coming to ipsy this year and i'm just so excited about it so probably like june End of June, beginning of July, we'll we'll talk about the Hudson Motor. So Car buckle company. up, everybody! Find out about the the greatest automotive company to ever exist the in greatest. Michigan. Okay. Yes. Meanwhile, today we will be talking about. Well, first we're gonna jump into breakfast cereal. Mm-hmm. I am not a breakfast cereal person. I, I am. I don't like milk. I did when I was a kid. I ate a lot of cereal, mostly sugar cereal, and then grape nuts. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite cereal growing up? Uh, shredded wheat frosted mini wheats yeah i love that honeycombs i loved um as far as like the this the sweet stuff like the stuff i still eat today like frosted mini wheats and and granola yeah like every day multiple times a day bowls of granola if it's around yeah i'm just a big cereal fan but growing up i loved honeycombs uh fruity pebbles were uh were delicious uh frosted flakes were always uh you know yeah a safe choice a good choice i Um, i had a friend once that realized i i don't know not realized but i was eating shredded wheat mm-hmm. um or frosted shredded wheat or whatever it's called and i eat it dry mm-hmm. like a snack like like they're potato chips yeah you can <laughs> and a friend of mine was like what are you doing i'm like this is delicious and they were like uh isn't it a little dry I'm yeah like, i mean it's, yeah <laughs> it's a little dry to most people but hey as long as you're you're getting that fiber in, who cares good. right it tastes delicious so poop like dried like broken glass probably um all right well anyways so in 1876 Mm -hmm. dr john harvey kellogg became superintendent of the battle creek sanitarium which was a world-renowned health resort with his brother wk kellogg working as bookkeeper bookkeeper for the facility along with bookkeeping wk assisted john with research aimed at improving the diets of the (laughs) patients at the sanitarium specifically in the search for wheat-based granola i'm john and this is my brother wk just kind of a funny when people go by initials yeah yeah we call him billy though i think his name is william of course it is yeah the kellogg's are best known for their cornflakes Though there is some debate on which of the family members were involved in the development of the breakfast cereal. It is generally agreed that John left a batch of wheat berry dough out overnight, and instead of throwing it out the next day, he sent it through the rollers, obtained flakes, and then baked them. W.K. persuaded John to serve the food in flake form, and it was soon packaged and mailed to guests who requested the flakes after leaving the sanitarium. Dr. John forbade his brother from distributing the cereal beyond their consumers, and the two had a falling out. In 1906, W.K. launched Battle Creek Toasted Corn Flake Company, and then in 1909, after convincing his brother to relinquish rights to the product, W.K. changed the name to Kellogg Toasted Corn Flake Company and began producing and marketing the hugely successful breakfast food. The company took on its current name, Kellogg Company, in 1922. Throughout the years, Kellogg's has acquired many different small small businesses, snack food companies, etc., and in 2018, Kellogg's market capitalization was valued at over $22 billion. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the point is that Kellogg wasn't started as a cereal company. It no. didn't initially, cornflakes didn't pop up as a, you know, capitalist uh, venture to create money 
serving people breakfast. It was made as a kind of a bizarro health food for this sanitarium that these guys ran. That it was, yeah, like these guys were, um, I believe John Kellogg was especially, he was more the doctor of the two. Yeah, he was the doctor. He was uh, a bit, uh, um, a bit kooky. As yeah. go, like what? What's the what's the term you use now for rude people? Eccentric? Uh, no, not a, I mean eccentric. Yeah, but uh, pseudo pseudoscience. Oh, okay. Kind of a, a pseudo medical. Yeah. Um, you know, like like involving uh, enemas and stuff like that at the sanitarium. And cornflakes were part of the regime that his brother was like, "Look, we can make billions just selling the cornflakes. We don't need to give the enemas anymore." And he was like, "But I like the enemas." And he's like, "But I like the cornflakes." So I'm starting my own company. Yeah, and that's how the Kellogg cereal company was born. <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely a mistake that you know turned into like I said twenty two billion dollars mm-hmm. in twenty eighteen. But they've they've taken on so many different, and I I didn't I didn't write it down because there's a ton of companies that they've acquired through the years. What I did find interesting, and again, too long of a list to to mm-hmm. go through, but there were a lot of cereals that were discontinued that I didn't realize because I'm not a big cereal person. And even as a kid, I wasn't a huge cereal person. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a couple of things that I liked, but you know, I wasn't, I, I wasn't like you in the sense that you will eat cereal every day, one or two times a day. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, so convenient, you know, but cereal and sandwiches. Do you remember there was, do you remember there was a Bart Simpson cereal? I wouldn't doubt. I remember. I remember a GI Joe cereal, Mr. T cereal. Mr. Like anytime, T was on the list, and, it, and they all always tasted like Captain Crunch. I can imagine. It's Captain Crunch is a General Mills product, I believe, which is Minnesota, which isn't Michigan. Right. But however, Post is also a Michigan company. Oh. Also out of Battle Creek, and that's the curiosity. I wonder how that started. Like how uh, you know, just another cereal company just popped yeah. up in Battle Creek. Can, that's a story I would like to know. We can. Do that on another episode because yeah, I the didn't... great cereal wars. Yeah, maybe we should just fabricate stories going forward. We could, so, like you know, talk about the, the the war between the two cereal companies and the lives lost over oats. Yeah, do you that think didn't we'd... happen. But do you think we'd gain or lose followers based on making up? <laughs> a little of both, maybe a little of column A, a little of column B. Who yeah. Knows? So a couple of Kellogg's fun facts that I found. Mm-hmm. Kellogg's was the first company to put prizes in cereal boxes. Oh, yeah. They did this from 1909 to 1931. That was what I loved as a kid was was getting into the cereal box first. Yeah. Making sure that my hands were that in there dirty first. dirty little hand all the way get... to the bottom oh, of the... Oh, yeah. 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 And Kellogg always put them in the bottom of the bag, too. I think most of them ended up in the bottom of the bag. And I do remember there was a time at some point where some companies didn't even put the the toy in the actual bag. It was you had just, to mail away for it or it was, it was just, on the outside of the bag? It was on the yeah. outside of the bag. That's what's different companies did different things. Like, I know Kellogg for sure had it at the bottom of the, yeah. the cereal. But... Other companies, yeah, would have it like in the box next to the bag, mm-hmm. which was a lot more hygienic. I do remember just the glory of of a good cereal box in the morning. If you, you had, had something siblings. to read before you had a phone, yeah, before you had you know TVs, screens in every room, you had that box of cereal to look at all meal long and yeah. just read. And I remember being a kid, and I, I think it was Honeycomb. I think it was Post Products were doing some sort of crossover with DC Comics. And I mean, this had to be the late 70s, early 80s. The back of the box had like a, um, you know, like a color by number thing mm-hmm. on it. And it actually had the paints 
on the box. You oh, just really? add a little water to the paints and you get oh, the that's paint. Cool. And then you can paint on the, straight on the box. Wow. Like a little scene of like Superman or the Flash or whatever. That's really cool. Yeah. I if you had siblings growing up and you know there was a, a toy in the cereal mm-hmm. that was that was the greatest achievement if you get it first getting at yeah getting it first and what I would what I would like to do what I used to like to do was take the box and like not because we couldn't we weren't allowed to pour it all out and right. then put it back in there but if you could maneuver the box a certain way and like just kind of tip it on its side and just kind of like shake it a little bit and then move some stuff around and then shake it some more. Eventually the toy would get where you could reach it with your hand yeah. and then it would be like, ha ha, victory is mine. That was just jam my full arm all the way in there and you get that bulge in the box yeah. afterwards. But technically I wouldn't get in trouble because technically I didn't pour all the cereal out. I just kind of... Very cool. Yeah, I was a sneaky little thing. Mm-hmm. So Gerber, Gerber was founded in 1927 in Fremont, Michigan by Daniel Frank Gerber, owner of the Fremont Canning Company. At the suggestion of a pediatrician, his wife Dorothy began making hand-strained food for their seven-month-old daughter, and seeing it as a business opportunity, Gerber began making baby food. By 1928, he had developed five products for market, beef vegetable soup, strained peas, prunes, carrots, and spinach. Six months later, Gerber baby foods were distributed nationwide. Now, I was like, wait a minute. What the heck were they feeding babies prior to this? Just regular food mashed up? Yeah, pretty much. Just wasn't the convenience factor of it. Yeah, yeah. So in the 1960s, other items such as pacifiers, baby bottles, and small baby toys were introduced. And in 1967, Gerber Products decided to offer a line of life insurance products. Today, the Gerber Life Insurance Company is one of the largest purveyors of direct marketed life insurance in the United States. Yeah, I remember hearing a funny story of, uh, I believe it was, uh, I, I could have the country wrong on this, but I think it was like Gerber was uh, uh, when they were first um, marketing overseas in Africa. Um, I'm going to say it was Uganda, but I could be wrong. They, uh, you know, products were all on the shelf, but the, uh, the, the, the people were used to, you know, when you see a product, like you see a picture on the product, that's what's supposed to be in the can. Yeah. So they'd see this Gerber and there'd be this little baby's face and they're like, what the hell is this? Are they serving us babies? We're not buying this crap. Really? Something like that. I heard some story. It was some country in Africa where the, uh, yeah, they were just used to seeing, you know, the the pictures of the product on the container. And when it came to the baby food, you know, it's just a picture of a baby. So people are like, no, yeah, no, I don't know what you Americans are trying to get us to eat, but no. Wow. Yeah. Never heard of that. That's crazy. Yeah. I, there's, I mean, the Gerber story isn't, there's not a whole lot to it, Mm -hmm. but I found it interesting, especially just knowing that before 1928, they were just... Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't know Gerber was from Michigan. Yeah, Fremont. And then after they started the baby food, he completely shut down the canning company and they just started, you know, selling and producing and Right, they had his market. Yeah. Fun facts. We got the babies on lock. Do you know who the Gerber baby was? Um, no. So there's a lot of urban legends surrounding who it was. Uh-huh. People have theorized that the baby was Elizabeth Taylor, Humphrey Bogart, Jane Seymour, and even Brooke Shields, but she's way too young yeah. to be the Gerber baby. I always was told that it was Jane Seymour. I grew up thinking it was her. I want to say I heard that Jane Seymour did something like that. Like, Well, she wasn't the Gerber baby. No. So the actual Gerber baby was 
the the person the artist that drew the sketch of the baby it was her neighbor that makes that's, much more sense that's that's the story like there wasn't anybody famous it was literally the artist's neighbor baby mm-hmm. that's it <laughs> so in 1955 daniel gerber was on groucho mark's comedy quiz tv show you bet your life where he talked about the benefits of companies opening plants in michigan Ooh. that's pretty cool and then this is my favorite thing because I know people that love baby food, like grown-up humans. Mm -hmm. In 1974, Gerber began selling Gerber Singles, which were single-serving jars of pureed baby food marketed towards young unmarried adults. As it turns out, young unmarried adults don't like to be reminded that they're young unmarried and eating alone. Eating baby food alone. Right. Eating food that's (laughs) meant for something that's not even in your house. Yeah. Yeah. Alone. So it didn't last for very long. <laughs> I bet. Let's, I've known. We'll I've come had over friends. and kick it. We'll eat some baby food. Watch some SmackDown. So <laughs> like I've had friends that really enjoy the taste of baby food. Even as a mom, I would never taste baby. I'm food. Honest, I don't remember the taste of baby food. It's well, been a while. It's I, you know how I how I am about everything. Yes, texture. Yes, mm-hmm. texture and like seeing it. Like I can't. I can't, you know, when I've, I worked in nursing homes and we'd have to puree food for our residents and it would gross me out so much. Like I've had to puree chicken before. Yeah, no, it's and not. I can't, I just can't. So right, I'm with you. Ugh. However, you know, everyone's got to eat. Yeah. Well, I'll probably eat my arm off before I. No bull. You're not going to do that. If you can't eat puree beets, you're not going to eat your own arm. <laughs> Stop acting so tough. yes next company all right over 130 years ago in detroit michigan hamilton carhartt founded the carhartt company what if i what if it wasn't the carhartt company that'd be crazy then i'd wait for the rest of the story i know right the company started with two sewing machines and five workers making clothing for manual laborers they initially focused on railroad workers and their need for strong and long-lasting work clothes Carhartt worked very closely with railroad workers to be sure the work bibs met their needs. Within 20 years of its founding, Carhartt had expanded to facilities in eight cities, including locations in Canada and the United Kingdom. Carhartt is still a privately held, family-owned company owned by descendants of Hamilton Carhartt. Carhartt owns and operates its manufacturing base in Mexico, as well as a number of unionized factories and distribution centers in the United States. Carhartt offers a union made in the USA line of workwear through its retailers. They have four factories in the U.S., and they make an effort to use domestic suppliers. For example, they've bought cotton from Georgia, mm-hmm. you know, so they really, it's a really big thing for them to to utilize local, quote unquote, yeah. local. I've owned a Carhartt jacket for over 30 years, just about 30 years, and it's in perfect condition. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there's a little... uh What's that? Pilling? You call that? Piling? Yeah. A little pilling going on around the collars. And all that. But it's almost 30 years old. The thing right. is still perfectly stitched, warm as heck. It's one of the old Detroiter jackets. I had the uh, the red quilted lining, mm-hmm. the old school quilted lining. Ooh, fantastic yeah. coat. Jordan has one 
a real old one yeah. too that he got from somebody. That red lining. I think yeah. we talked about that before. Yep. But yeah, Carhartt's a great brand. And for some reason, I, whenever I think of Carhartt in Michigan made clothing, I know it's not even it's not even workwear related, but it just reminds me in the UP there's a company called Stormy Cromer that makes a winter hats hmm. that we got to throw in there too. Makes nice, you know, cold weather hats. Yeah. And I don't know why. I'm always reminded of them when I think of Carhartt, even though it's not a work company at all. Um, and I think it's they've got that long history as well. And they've just been, you know, banging out these lovely winter caps up in the UP for, you know, 100 years. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I I love Carhartt, but like the stiffness of everything. Mm-hmm. You got to break it all it's in. It's very, yeah. everything's so rigid, yeah. you know, but, but yeah, I mean... Good company, good quality stuff. Yeah. It lasts forever. Some fun facts about Carhartt. They celebrate the opening of new stores by smashing a wall with a sledgehammer instead of cutting a ribbon. Makes perfect sense. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I love it. Your Carhartt. Working working clothes for working people. So then do they like... Clean up afterwards? Repair I hope so. the wall? I mean... It's probably a ceremonial <laughs> wall. wall. Then they bring in some bricklayers and they redo it. They fix yeah. it all back up. Tommy Boy Records used Carhartt jackets as a promotional vehicle, having their logo embroidered on the sleeve of a jacket. Yeah. The role Carhartt has played in the hip-hop scene earned them a spot in the Bronx Museum of the Arts exhibition entitled One Planet Under a Groove, Hip-Hop and Contemporary Art in 2002. Hip-hop and the old Detroiter jacket. I love it. I remember, it takes me back to the good old days of the old uh, New York City, uh, you know, roughneck. yeah. Boom bap hip hop. Yeah. EPMD and, and the you know, the Def Squad all wearing Carhartt jackets. Yeah. Talkeetna, Alaska holds an annual Carhartt ball and the Alaska State Fair hosts a Carhartt fashion show. I love it. I, love I it. would love to see that. YouTube it, I'm sure it's on there. Probably. That sounds amazing though. Yeah. In November of nineteen oh seven, Faganson Brothers Bottle Works was founded in Detroit, Michigan by Russian baker immigrants Ben and Perry Faganson. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be known as Fago until 1921 when they decided the name Faganson Brothers was too long. Yeah, Fago. Yeah. So back in 1907, there were three flavors of Fago, fruit punch, strawberry, and grape, which were based on cake frosting recipes they used in Russia. Initially, they used a horse-drawn carriage for deliveries, and they lived above the plant. Over the next 10 years, they were able to purchase houses, hire employees, and a second horse and carriage for deliveries. They also added more flavors, sassafras soda, and lithiated lemon. Mm, lithiated lemon. Yeah, that I don't, I'm not sure about that. Sounds healthy. Yeah. In the 1920s, they added delivery trucks and even more flavors, a vanilla-flavored soft drink, a seltzer water, and my favorite Fago flavor, Rock and Rye. I love Rock and Rye. That is the best. When they say strawberry, though, they have to be talking about Red Pop. Yes, right, like Red but it Pop wasn't was called a, Red Pop right, at that point. But it was strawberry. But that's like, you know, the most iconic flavor oh, yeah. of, of Fago, I yeah. believe. Rock and Rye, too. That's a, a great one. Rock and Rye is the best, like... Hands yeah. down, the best Fago flavor. And it's I love crazy because it, so it looks like a cola, mm-hmm. tastes like a cream soda, mm-hmm. and then if you spill it out, it's actually red. Yeah. It's crazy. It's good, good, good soda. Yes. In the 1950s, company chemists resolved the short shelf life issues, and then popularity expanded in the 60s once the company began advertising during Detroit Tigers broadcasts. I love this. Due to being unable to cancel the ads, 
and the reach being what it was, Fago basically didn't have a choice. They had to ship their products to wholesalers' re- warehouses. Yeah, they got forced. It's like Fago multiple times in their in their career have forced to become national. Yes. This took company sales from $6 million in 1966 to $20.4 million in 1971. Good job, guys. That is a ton of money. Yeah. So, Fago Fun Facts. There are 26 different Fago flavors. That does not include the Diet or Ohana brands. Mm-hmm. I love the Ohana punch. I Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I still I still always go for Rock and Rye. Yeah, I mean, you know, Second multiple being flavors. Pop. I'm just saying the uh, the Ohana Punch, you know, has that same same uh, flavor as Hawaiian Punch mm-hmm. or Tahitian Treat. Which... What's that? Then doesn't Ohana have like a pineapple? I think so. No, they have a separate like uh, just Fago has a pineapple flavored soda. It's not an Ohana oh, one. Oh, okay. I thought it was an Ohana. Fago was ranked best tasting American root beer in the September 2009 issue of Bon Appetit. Calling no it, kidding. quote, dry and crisp with a frothy head, a good bite, and a long finish. No kidding. Yeah. Despite tasting super sweet, Fago actually has less sugar than most soda brands. Wow. It is at the lowest with like anywhere from like 28 gram, 24 to 28 grams of sugar. Mm-hmm. And a lot of other ones are much, much higher. So can we... Uh... Jones Soda is like the the sugariest that's not our problem that's a seattle problem yeah get out of here that's washington tough. yeah that stuff is really just sweet. kidding you guys are great but this is about michigan this hey while we're uh, talking about fago can sure. we discuss the uh, white elephant in the room we can the insane clown posse yeah i mean fago really doesn't like to be associated with them it's sort of one of those things they don't uh, they don't like to talk about it but um they work with icp they do but they don't discuss it not like according if, to the internet well if according to documentaries on icp i've seen you know they show them you know hanging out at the fago warehouse picking up you know thousands of dollars of, of soda just mm-hmm. for just a waste at a concert you know fago makes money off of icp and the icp connection mm-hmm. they don't want to just be the icp soda but icp really helped them out in a lot of ways especially national how we we're talking about how they've been forced to become national over the years in so many ways when ICP took off, and I know, you know, it's the Insane Clown Posse. They probably don't make the greatest music on the planet. However, they've been doing this for decades mm. now, and they've, you know, they've hung in there and built a fan base and, importantly, built an audience for Fago. Yeah. Nationally. But like, they've now also, you find Fago nationwide. Sure. But they've also brought lawsuits onto Fago. Yeah. Yeah. So Fago is like, yeah, we don't. Well, yeah, I imagine some, you know. <laughs> Someone slips and gets hurt at a concert, and then they want to sue Fago. Well, a girl got hit with a two-liter at a concert and tried suing Fago. That's silly. And, yeah, so... Fago doesn't hurt people. People hurt people. Right, exactly. I mean, yeah. I didn't I didn't put ICP into this story because... But I did. I know, but I didn't just because I didn't... <laughs> I just didn't think it was necessary, but, I mean, yeah, they they... Yeah, they've kind of pushed Fago out there. Yeah, and... I mean, I don't think, you know, Fago didn't necessarily need any rejuvenation in right. the local scene. You know, right. everyone was still buying Fago, but just getting it out there, yeah. you know, as, as a Detroit soda. And also, while we're talking Detroit sodas, Town Club is another one. Yeah. That uh, they had a unique, uh, like, they're still around. You still find the bottles in gas stations and convenience stores. But apparently, back in the day, they used to actually have these, like, purchase centers. 
Oh, really? Like you'd go in there and uh, they'd give you like a, a wooden crate and you fill it up with as many bottles as it fits oh, in there cool. and, and pay one price for it. Yeah. I like Town Club. And yeah. It's it's tasty. It's very sweet. You know, very sweet flavors. Black cherry and, yeah. you know, like a blue cream soda. And I like how they put them in the glass bottles. There's yeah. just something about drinking ice cold soda out of a glass bottle that yeah. just you can't beat it. And it's and you know it's I would say the flavors are comparable to Jones soda like it's probably very sweet yeah but uh, very unpretentious yeah I love it we'll leave it at that Jones soda <laughs> I mean we can come back to Jones soda on another day nah That's when we fine. move sure like I said I believe they're from Washington oh yeah not Jones soda I'm sorry I I meant to say Town Club I misspoke yeah. no, no no that's about all I know of Town Club okay. The Kogel Meat Company was founded in Flint, Michigan in 1916 by Albert Kogel. The company is a meat processing, packaging, and distribution company with 64 products. Kogel hot dogs are considered by the authors of Coney Detroit as the best hot dog for a Flint-style Coney dog along with Abbott's Meats Coney sauce. I'm glad you mentioned Abbott's. Kogel is supplier of A&W and 200 Coney restaurants, Walmart, Dairy Queen, Kroger, Meyer, and Costco. And aside from locations in Michigan, you can find Kogel's in Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, and Illinois. The Kogel Meat Company makes 64 products based on 32 different recipes. This includes 16 types of sausage and hot dogs, brats, Italian sausage, footlongs, I friggin' love footlongs, Frank's, <laughs> Vienna Frankfurters, bologna rings, yes ma'am, chicken frank, and Polis, Polish sausage. Lunch meat products include bolognese, koto salami, Dutch loaves, olive loaves, pickle loaves, head cheeses, and mac and cheese loaves. Mm. None of that sounds good mm. to me. Mm. <laughs> but... Give me a Kogel hot dog, give me a Kogel footlong, and a and pickled bologna, and I am in heaven. Yeah, Angie loves the pickled oh bologna. God. It is my favorite. It's uh, it it it, <laughs> it has a so certain good. smell to it when when the container is opened. That uh, it's very and when you think of the things that I enjoy eating and how picky I you're, am, you're you're the dumbest pickiest I eater. <laughs> like it's it's you're like I'm a picky eater, but yet you eat pickled bologna and seafood. Yeah. Mushrooms. And I love mushrooms. I love fish. Yeah. I'm that's very crazy. But it's bizarre. like if, if you get a steak that's a little pink in the middle, you're going to rush off and throw up. <laughs> yes. Pickle bologna smells very um, like vinegary. vinegary. It smells like Easter eggs. It, it does. But Which, it's I so mean, good. and I love vinegar and I love the smell of vinegar, but there's just something weird about looking at that little, little like pink roll of meat smelling like very strong vinegar. I'm really bummed out that I didn't get any one. I'm all right with that. <laughs> but the, yes, the Vienna, the Vienna dogs are, mm. uh, are a staple in Michigan. And yeah. I would say the closest thing to them would be uh, the, the, the Frankfurters from the Vienna Beef Company in Chicago, which is the, uh, the basis of the you know Chicago style hot dog, mm-hmm. like they have, like both those uh, dogs have the same seasoning, and the same flavors to them. That's yeah. why I like the the Kogel ones because you know being an original child of Chicago, I tend to like the Chicago style dog better than a Coney dog. <sighs> Just saying, it's something delicious, and the the, the Kogel sausage works great on both. Kogel is so good, and that that crisp that when you bite into the that. Snap. It, Oh, man, it's so good. And, of course, again, tie it back to my family and my grandpa. When he was 
sick when he, you know, shortly before he died, and the only time we could get him to eat anything, mm-hmm. which it was very rare that he would eat a full meal. And whenever he decided that he finally was hungry, he wanted a Kogel hot dog with mustard and onions, mm-hmm. and that's what he ate. And so, as you know, that's what we have every year on his birthday, and usually on his death day, we have the Kogel Vienna hot dogs. Not with mustard and, and onions because I don't like it like what that. What are your favorite topics? Just I'm I'm fine with just ketchup. I love I like ketchup, mustard, and relish. I can go sweet relish or dill relish. Yeah. But I mean I'm very I'm very simple. The only time that I, I know. <laughs> shut up. The only time that I like different toppings on my hot dog. Every now and again, I'll have like a hot dog with barbecue sauce on it, which is very or rare. Bacon. I never put bacon on it. The only other thing that I that I put on a hot dog that's very out of character for me is when I get a hot dog from the hot dog cart in Lansing, and it's called a Snoop Dog, and it has I think they put ketchup on it too, but I don't get it with ketchup. Or no, maybe it's barbecue sauce. It's like nacho cheese, barbecue sauce, and French. Fried onions, mm-hmm. which you love, which I love those. I eat those like potato chips, but I will, I'll get that without the barbecue sauce and just get the cheese and the French fried onions. And that's very out of character for me, yeah. but that is, that is one of the best hot dogs mm-hmm. ever. It's so good, but I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very simple when it comes to my toppings, Yeah. but what do you eat on yours? Well, ideally what I like, uh, if I'm just whipping up a, a hot dog at home, it's almost like a uh, a small, a skinny version of a Chicago dog. I like to take a uh, a nice uh, pickle spear and lay it in there with the hot dog, mm-hmm. and then put a couple slices of tomato in there. Dill as well. pickle, though, right? You don't. Yeah. You're not. Oh, a I don't sweet eat. I, no, I don't like no. bread and butter or sweet. Yeah. I only eat dill. Yeah. Dill only, suckers. That's mm. all we want over here. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I mean, not even relish. Like, yeah, normally like relish, I always have to put on a dog. But if I have a choice, if I can put a spear on there versus relish. I'll go with the spear. All right. Put some uh, tomato on there and a little dash of celery salt. You got yourself a heck of a dog right there. I'm from that camp that doesn't believe in putting ketchup on hot dogs. Yeah, see, once you hit a certain so age. That's so weird to me. Hmm, you can just do without it. Huh. Not me. I like it. Try it. No. Try putting tomatoes on instead. No. Totally different flavor profile. Delicious. Yeah, that seems weird to me. Anyway, I'm going off a little too much about Chicago stuff right now. So we should. I know people that put like. Uh, that eat their hot dogs with mayonnaise. That's crazy. Yeah, it seems like really when you say people, me. you mean plural, or is this just one person? I've heard of a couple of different people doing it. Hmm. They're not friends of mine. I mean, obviously, right? Well, where, like, where are they from? Michigan? They lived here in Michigan. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mayo on a hot dog. Yeah, I don't. That's insane. And I'm a person who loves mayo on damn near anything. Yeah, that's like, super weird. Right? I think mayo, in my opinion, I don't know why we're going off on on food preferences right know. now, but I got it. I got to get I'm this. Starving. I have to get this out. Okay. <laughs> the only essential topping for a hamburger is mayonnaise, in my in my opinion. Well, I'm glad that's your opinion. I'm glad you stated that it's your opinion cheese, because cheese you're and wrong. Mayo. Cheese and mayo are just no. make a perfect burger. No. I eat my burgers two different Imperfectly. ways. Imperfectly. That's <gasps> how you eat your burgers. Anyways. 
Kogel's Fun Facts, mm-hmm. the recipe has not changed. They've been using the same recipe for over 100 years. Mm-hmm. When the factory was designed in 1977, it was built to allow production to move east to west through the building to prevent product from circling back, which could increase instances of contamination. Good thinking. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And then this is really interesting, too. There is an acid in meat that erodes concrete over time, so the floor of the production area is all bricks. Mm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. How do they how do they figure that out? Ah, trial and error. I guess so. So the last one is another soda. Soda pop. Yeah, what's that? First produced commercially in 1880 by pharmacist James Verner in Detroit. Oh, yeah. Verner's is the oldest surviving ginger ale in the United States. Verner opened his own drugstore on Woodward Avenue and sold his ginger soda at its soda fountain. Initially, Verner's was only sold via soda fountain franchises. In 1896, Werner closed his drugstore and opened a soda fountain closer to the city center of Detroit to focus on the ginger ale business alone. Later, he began selling bottling franchises in other cities. Operators were required to adhere strictly to his recipe. James Verner died in 1927, at which point his son, James Verner, James Verner Jr., took over the company. JVJ. From then until 1966, the company had some expansions, the buildings moved around, and finally in 1966, the Verner family sold the company. Verner's changed hands about six times and is currently owned by Keurig Dr. Pepper. Mm, mm-hmm. I am not a ginger ale person at all. Yeah. I don't like the taste of it. I don't like the smell of it. I don't like the look of it. I don't like anything about it. And in Michigan, it is it is a it's a medicine for mm-hmm. a lot of people. It's, it's true. Like Verner's you, is medicinal you in get, Michigan. You have a tummy ache, you drink Verner's. You have a headache, you drink Verner's. You're Cold, nauseous, here's warm some Verner's. Burners. Yeah. Just I've never I've I've I'm not a ginger flavor person yeah. in general. Like ginger, the the flavor of ginger is not for me. Well, I think you got two types of ginger ales in this world, right? You got your uh, your Verner's, which is like a spicier ginger ale, which mm-hmm. is also like Fago Gold is a kind yes. of a knockoff of uh, Verner's. And then you got your your dry ginger ales, like your your Canada dry, yeah, like Ooh. ones that are more like mixers and stuff. And that's what I grew up with was the the Canada Canadian dry, mm-hmm. Canada dry. I think it's Canada dry. Uh, Canada dry is what uh, we grew up with, you know, because my parents aren't Michiganders. They right. they weren't into Verners. They didn't know about that until they were in their forties. So we drank, uh, you know, Canada dry, and it, again, it was also used medicinally. Like mm-hmm. you got a stomach ache, here's some some Canada dry. Here's some ginger ale. Yeah. That's weird. It was never, I don't remember it being used that way in my home, but yeah. I, you know, obviously I know lots of people that most Michiganders, except for me. Yeah, I remember being it. sick and drinking a little, a little tiny glass of ginger ale. Ugh, yuck. Fun facts about Verner's. The brand was originally sold as Verner's with an apostrophe. Yeah. The apostrophe was dropped in 1959. Verner's flourished during Prohibition. Mm-hmm. It was a very popular drink mixer, as you said. Verner's was once available in kegs, so you could go to like the the warehouse or whatever yeah. and buy it in a keg and take that home. That would make sense. I mean, now they just sell the the boxes of syrup right. for people to hook up to a pump. But if you didn't have that whole carbonation system back then, yep, you could just buy a keg of it. 
Aretha Franklin glazes her Christmas ham with Verner's. Glazed. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah, she glazes it. Glazed. Past tense. Oh, right. It's okay. Yes. It's all right. But no, I mean, I, I could see that. There's lots of recipes that call for... R.I.P. Uh, Franklin. Yes, R.I.P. Legend. Uh, that uh, call for, you know, sodas and stuff. Uh, colas. Yeah. I've seen it used in, um, you know, barbecuing recipes. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking, is using, like, Coke or Pepsi in a yeah, barbecue recipe. But even then, I could, I could definitely see Verner's glazing, a, a, like, a holiday ham. Hmm. Sounds pretty good. I would love to see, like, a Verner's cookbook, a Verner's cocktail book. Yeah. Like, there's different things you can do with Verner's that, that people have come up with that are pretty good. Hmm. I don't a, know. A Verner's cleaning guide. <laughs> Yeah, to using burners to, to cleaning things around your house. Clean your toilet with burners? Yeah, you know, I soak mean, your jewelry overnight in burners. Sure, why not? Right. Ooh. Speaking of Dissolve cooking... a penny in burners? I don't know if you can do that. I shouldn't say that. It might be slandering burners. I apologize. That's something you can do with Coke. Dissolve a whole penny? Yeah, you can dissolve a penny overnight in, in Coke. That's super disturbing. Mm-hmm. That's how, the, you know, the, the dare cop that came to my middle school tried to get us off soda, and that's what he did. Oh my god! I made that last part. Up. Okay, <laughs> but I do know you can dissolve you can dissolve pennies and. Why do you do that to me? And coke. I don't. It's just the way I'm wired. I know. I'm sick because yeah. I'm sick. <laughs> yes. That's actually how the the Fed is planning to get rid of all the pennies. They're just right. going to dissolve them all in coke. Got it. Okay. And just so get rid of all that copper. Just take you, it off the planet forever. Carry on. Talking about cooking with different sodas, I when I worked at a group home, we had a recipe. To make like these apple turnover type things, mm-hmm. and you you cooked them in Mountain Dew. Wow, that sounds delicious. They were really good. Like it was basically, if I remember correctly, it was like apples wrapped in like crescent rolls, mm-hmm. and then you poured Mountain Dew all over them, and then you baked them. You know, Mountain Dew does not make a good uh, cocktail mixer. I can't imagine that it would. It, I've tried many times in my life, and nothing works with it because it's just too sweet and. Yeah. Kind of gross. Yeah. Like it just deserves to be on it. So it's more of a drug than a pop. Yeah. That's Mountain true. Dew, in my opinion, it's more, you know. So what do you drink? What do you mix? If you use Verner's as a mixer, what do you like? What sort of alcohol goes with that? That's what I would like to know because I've never seen anyone order a Verner's based drink yeah, anywhere. Yeah, I haven't either. And with the long storied history of Verner's, it seems like there should be at least one Verner's cocktail. There probably is. We just don't know about it. I think I would know by now. <laughs> Like, it seems like there'd be one that would be a standard at, at all the bars, yeah. you know? Especially here in Michigan. That's what I'm saying, especially yeah. in Detroit. Like, can I get the old, uh, you know, the, the old-fashioned Verner's, please? Right. Verner's old-fashioned. Huh. Coming right up. Can I get a Verner's gimlet? Coming right up. You know, like, it just seems like it would be a standard thing yeah. everywhere. But Detroit is weird like that. They don't really adopt too much, you know, outside of the Coney dog, outside of Verner's alone. It seems like we we adopt a whole lot of foods. Yeah. And, you know, like I want to say even Detroit style pizza. That's a, more of a national invention. Like we weren't calling it Detroit style. That was just pizza here. Right. That's how we ate pizza. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. That's just kind of how things. Yeah. Work. Like even Little Caesars marketing themselves nationally with the you know Detroit style deep dish. That's how your deep dish always looked. Yeah. That's just how we do it out here. Little Caesars is a Michigan company, isn't it? It sure is. Yeah. The Yelich's out of Detroit. Yeah. They also own the uh, Detroit Red Wings and the uh, Tigers, which they purchased from Tom Monahan, the owner of Domino's, another Michigan company. How many Michigan companies can you name right now off the top of your head? Uh, let me see. Start with the cars. Ford, GM. Uh, I don't know. Chrysler doesn't really count anymore. So we'll go Ford and GM for the car companies, right? For... Uh, 
What was the next one we're talking about? Okay, Verner's, uh, Fago. We already Fo- named okay, those. Okay, ones. so we're talking about okay, ones that I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, let's go. Ones that we haven't done. Did they still have to be in business? They or historically? Just, Kmart was a big one. Kmart is Michigan based? It was a big one, yeah, out of Troy, Michigan. Okay. And then they sold to uh, Sears, so they moved to Chicago, and then they, they both folded. All right. Um, See what happens when you take your business out of Michigan? Yeah. Dow Chemicals, Up John in Kalamazoo, both, you know, like chemical companies doing stuff. I mean, Up John's a pharmaceutical company, so is Pfizer, which was in Ann Arbor. Uh, they're somewhere else in Michigan now, too. Um, you got any more you want to throw at me instead of staring I at me for dead air? No, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see if you know any more off the top of your head. Because I can't, I mean, I don't work very well like that under pressure. And I, I mean, I guess mention a, a market and mention some sort of product and i can think of a company no that's fine i mean if that's all you got that's fine i was just testing you to no see. i mean the thing is there's millions of them i just can't concentrate now because you threw me on the scene <laughs> that was the whole point i know okay well i failed all right well you did better than i thought you, you had a couple car companies chemical i mean companies. you did better than i would have done because i w- i you said gm and ford and i was like duh yeah like my brain just went blank and, and then dow just, pfizer and up yeah. john meyer was a yeah, Meyer. Uh, but they, every single of them regionally. But then again, we're talking regional guys too. Yeah, I mean, I mean now. IGA grocers. Now Spartan they're stores. all over the place. You know, there's a lot of companies that like again, like Fago. Yeah. When I lived in Louisiana, though, Fago was not like a big right. thing. Like people didn't, and that was only. I mean, I guess it was probably 18 years ago when right. I lived down there. But yeah, nobody knew what Fago was, and. So, no, like like you say with Meyer too. It's crazy when I'm driving and I'm in like Kentucky, and mm-hmm. then suddenly it's like, oh wow, there's a Meyer here. Yeah, I get excited when I see it because I always remember when uh, back in the day, a friend of mine um, was in town doing comedy, and he was out of L.A. and um, like after his show, you know, he needed to like get some stuff because he was traveling, like a toothbrush, all the stuff. He's right. like, is there a store I can go to? I'm like, yeah, let me take you to Meyer. We went up to Meyer and just here's a guy who grew up in like South Central L.A. walking into a Meyer for the first time. And his eyes were just like super wide. And he's like, I've never seen anything like this. Really? And to me, I was like, wow. Like to take a guy who grew up in L.A. and show him something new. It was amazing. That's crazy. Like just watching him walk around Meyer, He's like, oh, I I wouldn't believe that a thing like this existed. Yeah. Like a 24 hour warehouse. Yeah. Where you can buy anything. Right. Like he's like, I wouldn't believe it would exist. And I wouldn't believe it would exist in the Midwest. Yeah. You know, it definitely would seem like a coastal type thing. So it just kind of blew his mind. Right. So I thought that was cool. So I've always liked Meyer because, you know, it's it's places weren't open 24. Like Meyer was always open 24 hours mm-hmm. and it was always this giant store. And that wasn't really a thing until maybe like 20 years ago. You started seeing places op- stay open 24 hours. You started seeing the rise of, of giant stores. Right. And Meyer, Meyer's Thrifty Acres. Yeah. Is what it used to be called. Yeah. That's crazy. When I lived down south, we only grocery shopped at Albertsons. Mm -hmm. And if you needed, like, clothes and you were, like, aside from going to, like, a mall, if you were just going to, you know, I need a package of underwear or whatever, you went to Walmart Mm -hmm. because Albertsons didn't sell stuff like that. So, you know, Albertsons was... Albertsons is like the equivalent to like a Kroger up here. Yeah. But again, it's a regional thing. Right. It's a down south. It's just a straight grocery yeah. store. Sort of like a Winn-Dixie or, yeah. you know, uh, Piggly Wiggly or whatever. So, yeah, that's crazy to think that. Whereas Myers basically like a Target or a Walmart, right. time, but 10 times the but size. But on steroids. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy to think when you think about people from different regions 
that don't know what a right. Meyer is. Like especially cosmopolitan <laughs> regions. Yeah. Like, like if yeah. he, you know, if he was from Kansas City and was like, I've never seen a Meyer. It's like, all right, I get it. you're from Kansas City. Like you got some cool stuff, but right. we got cool stuff too. But then having someone from L.A. where they, you know, supposedly have everything, it was pretty cool. It was a moment of pride for for me in Michigan. That's cool. I like it. So that's it for Michigan brands for today. There's so many more that we could talk about, but that's as far as I got because there's just there's so much information out there. Like I'm finding each week when I start researching, I'm like, oh, this is exciting. And then I end up down a rabbit hole and I'm yeah. like, oh, my God, how am I going to compile all of this and turn it into a show for like 30 minutes and get as much good information right. as I possibly can. Well, I mean, maybe that's a question for listeners, too. Would you prefer we go deep on a topic, or would you prefer we go wide on a topic? Yeah, there you go. If you have an opinion about, you know... Because I'm always torn on the two as yeah. well. Like, you know, we have episodes like this where, you know, we rename a bunch of brands, and then, you know, by the in the same episode, you mentioned that you would like to, you know, single out the Hudson Company and talk about the history of that company a little bit in a separate episode... And it makes you wonder if we should do that with more sure, companies yeah. instead of throwing it all in. And I'm game for whatever. I mean, obviously, you know, Hudson is just a, a big right. part of my life. So I really want to to get that more of that history yeah. that I didn't know and to, and to hear it from other people's perspectives. Like my intention is to go and interview somebody at the museum right. in Ipsy and hear about other people's experience with the cars and growing up with them as opposed to just my experience and what, you know, I've gone through with my grandparents. Correct. So, but yes, absolutely. If there's any listeners that have an opinion on, you know, if you want us to go longer with these episodes and, and get deeper into the history and whatever, let mm-hmm. us know. Otherwise we're going to, continue to keep it pretty I mean, short I'd, and sweet i'd like to go deeper on some things we can absolutely if there's a michigan brand that you want more information about or you maybe you are the owner of a michigan brand and you started a company that's turned into this amazing thing and you want to talk about that let me know you know message me on instagram or facebook or send us an email at greatlakesconfidential at gmail.com and I would I think that it would be fun to have a guest on to kind of talk about their own company and, and what they've done. Certainly. That'd be awesome. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Um, please make sure that you're tuning in to the rest of the Joy Road Media Productions that we have going on. We've got like six shows on the network currently, mm-hmm. and I'm really excited to bring on a new one here in the, in the next couple of months. We'll be kind of teasing that soon. So look forward to that. As always, follow us on social media for trivia and memes and conversations and whatever. Hijinks. Yeah, yeah, just little Facebook hijinks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anyways, it's time to eat food because we're both getting a little weird. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye.